Hi there, this is the Motherhood Elevated Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Jones, and this is episode number eight. What are you finding evidence for? You are listening to the Motherhood Elevated Podcast for women who want to find clarity of mind, create lasting emotional well-being and confidence, and achieve amazing potential. Come with me. This will be fun. Hey everyone, how's your week going? We are on the home stretch and just have a few days of summer left. My youngest son's 10th birthday happens to be on the first day of school this year, so we're trying to make that an extra special day for him. He wasn't too happy about having to go to school on his birthday, but I told him, hey, it's a great reason to be excited for the first day of school, right? And he's still deciding how he feels about that one, but he's one of those kids who really does love school. I think he just doesn't remember that after a nice long summer. I think it's the waking up early and homework he's probably dreading, so I can't blame him there. But getting back into a routine will be a good thing for all of us, for sure. So this week, I have one of my favorite topics for you. And today, I want to talk to you about something that your brain does. It's actually a reflex of your brain. And it can become a powerful tool for managing your mind. Now, we generally aren't aware that we're doing this. Like I said, it's kind of an automatic thing that our brain does. And it can be a very beneficial thing for us, but it can also be one of the culprits that keeps us stuck or holds us back from accomplishing things that we'd like to do. So I think this is a really important concept to learn about. And in better understanding it, I have been able to step back and watch my brain and really get a clear picture of what it's doing and how often this is really creating unnecessary pain or struggle for me. Okay, so let's get into it. The tool I am talking about is called confirmation bias. And this is a psychological term that is used to describe the tendency of our brains to take incoming information and then to use that information as evidence to support or confirm our already held beliefs. So throughout our lives, we all have experiences and influences and personalities that shape our thoughts and beliefs, right? We all have belief systems about how the world works, how the world should work, beliefs about ourselves and our lives and about the people in them, beliefs about politics and religion. Really, we could go on and on. So our brains have thousands and thousands of thoughts and pieces of incoming information every day. And when we think a thought over and over and accept that thought, it becomes a belief. And then our brains are continually looking for evidence to support that belief. So another aspect of this is that our brains like confirmation. We like to be right. We like to appear intelligent and we generally like to be validated when sharing our thoughts and ideas. So that's where the confirmation comes in. Our brains are seeking evidence that our beliefs are valid, that we are right. And the other part of it is the bias. That's where the bias comes in. And we view information from our own, sometimes very limited perspective. We are biased toward our already held beliefs, which leads us to favoring and keeping the information that supports those existing beliefs and then discounting or discarding the rest. So this process of confirmation bias is a key factor in how strong our beliefs are. The more evidence we have, the more we have confirmed that particular belief, then the more 
passionately we feel about it. Once we have an opinion about something or become emotionally attached to an idea, that's where the confirmation bias really kicks in. And the interesting thing is that facts don't mean the same thing to everyone. People can take evidence and make it mean whatever they want it to in order to confirm their opinion or their belief. And we can see this in politics sometimes, right? We see the same facts or the same evidence being used to support opposing sides of an issue. So a simple example I like, and this is how I taught this concept to my kids, is looking at Disneyland. And I know people who think Disneyland really is the happiest place on earth. They love it. They go often. They never get tired of it. I know other people who think Disneyland is kind of a ridiculous and even kind of a miserable place. And I have been to Disneyland with both types of people, both these types of people on the exact same day even, and have seen how two people can come away from the same experience with completely different opinions of it. So the people who love Disneyland are focused on the exciting rides and the fun characters, the yummy treats, the bright colors and exciting sounds. And the people who don't love Disneyland see the long lines and the expensive admission tickets and overpriced food and souvenirs and the random shutting down of a ride just before it's your turn to get on. So Disneyland itself is just Disneyland, right? But the way people interpret their experience will determine their beliefs about it. And they will continue to confirm that belief with evidence based on what they were looking to prove. So that's kind of a funny example, but really we do this in all areas of our lives. And like I said, confirmation bias can work to our favor, but it can also cause us some problems. For example, let's say you set a goal to do something you've never done before. So maybe you want to run a marathon and you've never done it before and you start training and you find that running is pretty hard and you're encountering obstacles and emotions that maybe you hadn't anticipated. And for some people, this can get discouraging and they use these things as evidence that it's just too hard and that maybe running a marathon really isn't something they can do. And when you're doing something you've never done before, you don't have the evidence of already having done it to fall back on, right? If I asked you if you could brush your teeth, you would give me a confident yes because you've done it successfully every day for many years. You have lots of evidence that you can indeed brush your teeth. But sometimes we let the fact that we've never done something become evidence that it isn't possible. So if you're carrying around the belief that running is just too hard and you don't quite have what it takes, put that thought into the self-coaching model and see what result it gets you. I can tell you it won't be a completed marathon. So one of the reasons it's important to be aware of this reflex of our brain is so that we just don't believe everything our brain is telling us. Because unless we take a look at and question our beliefs, we won't know which ones are really helping us and which ones are holding us back, right? And it's much easier, much more efficient for our brains to keep on believing what we've always believed, whether it's good for us or not. It takes work to change those thought patterns that are causing problems in our lives, but so many times we give up when the going gets tough because those belief systems are so cemented for us. We have found so much evidence for them that they just feel like facts. They just feel like they're true and can't be changed. So as we become aware of this thing that our brain is already doing, kind of on autopilot, we can use it to really be deliberate about how we want to think, about what we want to believe, and then to seek out evidence to support it. And we can also know that even if we don't have evidence, it doesn't mean that something doesn't exist or that it isn't possible, right? Our brains will tell us we can't believe in something without certain types of evidence, but we can know that that just isn't true, that we really can believe whatever we want to believe. So for me, this concept is a really important one to understand, 
And I think some of the other podcasts I've done leading up to this one are kind of foundational to seeing how confirmation bias works in our minds. I've talked about the importance of thought downloads and just general awareness of what's going on in our minds. And also that if you've never really been aware of your thoughts or beliefs or understood that they're optional, you can't see how they're affecting you or understand that you do have the power to change them. Well, as I've thought about this concept of confirmation bias, I've been more aware of it in every area of my life and particularly in my spiritual and religious beliefs. You've heard me talk a lot about agency because I've come to realize how critical it really is for us to have this ability, this power to choose in all areas of our lives. We use our agency for so many things, um, deciding who to marry, what career to pursue, where we want to live and raise our children, even things like what we want to eat or how to use our time and energy. Really, our days are full of choices, big and small. But sometimes we aren't aware of the less obvious choices, decisions about what we want to think about and what we want to believe. And some of these beliefs have been with us for a very long time, and we just assume they're true. We don't think to take a look at them and question them or make the effort to change them when they don't serve us. So let's talk a little about how confirmation bias relates to the gospel and even to our own individual testimonies. How do you even gain a testimony? How do you strengthen a testimony? You nourish it, right? That's the Sunday school answer. But like Alma talks about, and I referenced this in a podcast a few weeks ago, he refers to our belief as a seed that we choose to plant and we choose to nourish so that it can grow and thrive. So how do we nourish a testimony? Well, we look for evidence to support whatever principle of the gospel we're trying to gain a testimony of. But sometimes we don't start out with evidence, right? And that's where faith comes in. Faith is that initial choice to use our agency to plant that seed. It's the desire to believe in something that we can't prove. But as we choose to believe it and act in faith as if it is true, guess what happens? We begin to see evidence to support it. And as we gather more and more evidence, that belief grows stronger and we become more attached to it. So let's look at another example. Um, Why is it that some people believe that the Book of Mormon is scripture, that it really is an ancient record brought forth for our time by the hand of God, and then other people believe that it's a made-up story with absolutely no credibility? Because there exists in the world evidence for both views. I've taken an institute class for the past four years or so, and our teacher has the most amazing testimony of the Book of Mormon. He could talk for hours presenting hundreds of slides and pictures and quotes um, and articles, you name it, that that can stand as evidence that the Book of Mormon is true, that the events and people and places and timelines are all real and very accurate. But I know that there's just as much evidence out there that people have come up with to prove that the Book of Mormon is a hoax that it's inaccurate, that it's just a fictional account made up by a farm boy. So what's the deal? If the Book of Mormon is God's word, if it is true and he wants us to believe in it, then why is there evidence to the contrary? Well, I believe that one of the most important reasons for us to leave Heavenly Father's presence and come into mortality with um, our memories veiled was so that we could exercise true agency, so that we could make choices based on our individual desires. And there's no real choice without opposition, is there? There's no choice without at least two contradicting things to choose between. I ran across a great quote that really drove this concept home for me in a book entitled The God Who Weeps by Terrell and Fiona Gibbons. And it's a book I really love. And at the beginning, they're talking about the importance of 
having opposing evidence in order for a choice to really be a choice. And I've kind of condensed this a little, but here's um, what I thought was really powerful. They say, so must reason work with will to fashion understanding. There must be grounds for doubt as well as belief in order to render the choice more truly a choice and therefore the more deliberate and laden with personal vulnerability and investment. An overwhelming preponderance of evidence on either side would make our choice as meaningless as would a loaded gun pointed at our heads. Fortunately, in this world, one is always provided with sufficient materials out of which to fashion a life of credible conviction or dismissive denial. So essentially what they're saying is that we use both our reasoning and will to create belief, and that without room for doubt, there is no real belief. Overwhelming evidence to either side, and our choice would really be no choice at all. Which makes me wonder about how we talk about Lucifer in the Grand Council in Heaven, and, and we're told how he wanted to destroy agency. But maybe this is one of the ways, one of his ideas, was to take away opposition so that we couldn't choose another way. It's kind of interesting to think about. So this idea just really exemplified for me confirmation bias in the context of the gospel. And the authors go on to talk about how our beliefs and our doubts are very fluid, that they can change continually as we are exposed to new people and ideas and experiences. We hear that our testimonies are never just static. They're ever-changing, either being strengthened or weakened depending on the evidence we're giving credibility to, right? We get to make sense of incoming information in whatever way we desire. We can choose to accept or discount anything we want to. It's all about what we want to create, what we want to believe. And we talk a lot about belief in the gospel, don't we? It's easy to think that our beliefs just happen to us and that we can't really control them. But it's so fascinating to me to understand that I can deliberately use my agency to determine what I will believe. So taking the idea that we can't use our agency without opposing things to choose from, it wouldn't work for us to come to the earth with 100% proof that God exists, that this is his church upon the earth, that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Because if there wasn't opposition against these things, if it wasn't possible to find evidence to the contrary, there would be no point to our agency there would be no choice. If we had no room for doubt, our faith wouldn't be true faith, would it? And so it makes sense that we were sent to this world with chances to face opposition and even confusion, to make mistakes and to experience some doubt and to have questions, to wrestle with and not completely understand some concepts and principles. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of our individual journey to reach our highest potential. And it's all okay. But here's the tricky part. Sometimes when we experience fear or doubt or despair or confusion, we make it mean things like that we aren't worthy, that maybe God is disappointed in us, that we are weak or faithless or that we don't belong in the church or that the gospel doesn't belong in our lives. But nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that this is all part of our mortal experience and Heavenly Father doesn't give up on any of us. He didn't send us here to fail. I believe our Father in Heaven has an individual plan of salvation for each of His children. And our path will not look like anyone else's. God gave us the gift of agency so that we can choose our own way, so that we can act and not be acted upon. In a really wonderful general conference talk called Choose the Light, Elder Vern P. Stanfield says, No matter how intense the darkness of doubt, 
We choose how long and to what extent we allow it to influence us. There is no darkness so dense, so menacing, or so difficult that it cannot be overcome by light. We were given agency so that we could choose happiness, peace, faith, and even joy, regardless of what is happening to us or around us. So there have been times in my life when it's been very easy for me to choose faith and peace and light, but there have also been times when I've allowed myself to experience doubt and fear and darkness. And I'll share with you an example of one of those times earlier this year. I actually shared this in a talk at church a couple of months ago. So when our oldest daughter, Anna, was 13, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which can be a pretty life-altering illness. But through medication and diet, she's been able to manage fairly well over the past seven years. Well, while she was home for Christmas last December, after being in somewhat of a remission, her body decided to rebel. And by the time school had started, her symptoms had become quite severe. And she buckled down and tried everything that had worked for her when she'd had trouble before, but nothing seemed to help. In fact, things were getting worse. Her health was quickly spiraling out of control um, during her most heavily loaded critical semester yet as she was planning to apply for a highly competitive nursing program at the end of it. Meanwhile, I was trying to coordinate with doctors up in Utah and debating as to whether or not to withdraw her from school and bring her home. And I just prayed my way through each day that she would have the strength to make it to her classes. I fasted for her health and healing weekly. And I was doing everything I could to support her both physically and emotionally. But eventually, I started to feel myself slip, spiritually and emotionally. And I'm not sure exactly how this works, whether they were my own thoughts or if they were offered to me by the adversary. But I began to think that God had forgotten us, that he didn't care about her situation that he wasn't hearing my prayers or listening to me. And although I knew logically that things, these things weren't true, in those moments of intense worry and fear for her situation and for her future, those thoughts felt very real. And as I chose to continue allowing these thoughts, guess what happened? I found evidence for them in the seemingly unanswered prayers for her healing, in the frustration of trying to get her the medical help she needed. I couldn't understand why everything was taking so long. And in the injustice of her suffering, she was trying so hard to be good and do good things. Why was God letting this go on? Why wasn't he intervening? So as you can imagine, I started to feel some darkness creep in. Well, this went on for several weeks. And because of what I know about my thoughts, I knew I was choosing to allow this darkness. But I still struggled to understand how I could see this circumstance any differently. How could I not be full of frustration and anxiety and fear? But gradually I realized that I didn't want to stay in this darkness, that this wasn't what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. And it wasn't helping anyone for me to keep myself in this place of resentment and despair and darkness. And so I decided to choose faith and to trust what I didn't understand. I consciously chose thoughts like, Heavenly Father's completely aware of Anna. He loves her even more than I do, and he knows what's best for her. And he really can take this experience and use it to bring about miracles in her life. Another thought that helped me was that watching her suffer is hard for him too, but he wouldn't allow it if it weren't for her eternal benefit. And the thought that God was not expecting me to experience anything that he hadn't already endured 
only on a much larger scale watching his son suffer beyond comprehension. It was thoughts like these that really gave me the strength to trust in his plan for her and choose the light. And what happened when these kinds of thoughts were my focus? I looked for evidence that they were true. I saw that Hannah's grades miraculously stayed stable despite her feeling awful and being tied down and missing so being tied down to her apartment and missing so much time in her classes. We eventually got her into a wonderful doctor who was empathetic and encouraging and gave us both some much needed assurance about her current situation and her future quality of life. And I knew that she had angels, both earthly and heavenly, lifting her and supporting her and giving her strength when she needed it most. And all of this helped me let go of my expectations of what I thought her life should look like and instead hand my will over to God and trust that he knew best. There is a scripture that says, That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. So the more we look for light, the more we find it in our lives. So this experience with my daughter Anna showed me very clearly that I could believe whatever I wanted to believe, that I could find evidence for it. I could choose to believe that we had been forgotten and that this wasn't fair and that Heavenly Father didn't care about her suffering. Or I could find just as much evidence or even more that God was fully aware of her that she was in his loving care, and that he would use this experience to bring about great blessings in her life. I could make either belief true for myself. It was my choice. Sometimes we will experience darkness, and that's okay. It can serve as a sign that we might need to reevaluate and refocus. And I'm really grateful to have had the experience of that contrast, to be able to see what choosing doubt and fear was doing to me, as well as what choosing faith and confidence in God created. In my life. And so we shouldn't be surprised or discouraged if we experience confusion and questions and fears and doubts because without them, there is no true assurance or peace or faith. Without them, we don't get to experience real agency. We can only choose to exercise faith if we have some reason to doubt. And I don't believe that a loving Heavenly Father would send us to an earth full of trials and challenges and opportunities to experience doubt and despair and weakness without giving us a way to thrive in the midst of them. He knew that agency was crucial for our experience and progression in this life and the next. He didn't want us to become victims to our circumstances, but rather to choose what we'll make those circumstances mean and how we'll respond to them. We can, if we desire, Use them to become stronger, more resilient, and more like Him, which is our highest potential. It's why we're here. And although we're each on our own journey, we can help and inspire and shine light on each other's paths as we make our way forward. So I am very grateful for the principles, both secular and spiritual, that help us better understand our Heavenly Father and our relationships with Him. I think that science is catching up with the truths of the gospel and the things that we're learning about the mind and how it works can really enhance our efforts to know and follow our Savior. I don't think these things need to be compartmentalized science and religion. God really has his hand in both. It's all one big whole, and I think we're really lucky to live in a time when there's so much light and knowledge coming at us through all kinds of avenues. 
I believe that what science is teaching us about the mind is that mental and emotional wellness is best achieved by incorporating the attributes of the Savior into our lives. So back to this idea of confirmation bias and its implications for us, awareness of this reflex of our brain is awesome because we know that our beliefs are simply coming from the evidence we're choosing to accept or discount. Our beliefs are completely changeable. But the only thing that can change our belief and the evidence we're finding is our decision to change it. You are in charge. You are in control. I found that changing the beliefs that aren't serving me takes some humility, sometimes a lot of humility. It takes me being willing to be wrong about something. It takes me being willing to look at different sides and maybe even wrestle with something and then decide for myself what belief I want to cultivate. Being wrong is tough for our brains, but that's okay. Being willing to be wrong about something and changing that belief can really change your life. I found um, a lot of beliefs that I didn't even realize that I had, that had held me back my whole life. And as I've let myself be wrong about my beliefs, about my beliefs about myself and about the world and about other people and even about God and what his character is, I've been able to let those limiting beliefs go and find much more positive, empowering beliefs that have helped me accomplish things I never thought possible. So that's the power of understanding confirmation bias and how to use it to your advantage to create a really extraordinary life for yourself. Okay, I am signing off for this week and I just wanted to say to those of you who have reached out to me about this podcast and how you are enjoying it and how much it's helping you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I have had some really sweet messages and comments lately about it and you guys are just the best. So good luck to those of you starting school. We've got our school supplies ready and our fingers crossed over here. It'll be really good to jump into a new year. All right, have a good week and I will see you back here soon. If you like what you hear on this podcast and would like to learn more, I invite you to check out my website at motherhoodelevated.com. There you can sign up for a free mini session to see what working with me looks like, as well as find information on classes I offer or get on the list for some weekly inspiration straight to your inbox. Again, that's motherhoodelevated.com. Have a great week.